Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I have learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I am so pleased to have Stacey Stevenson on with me to teach us about what she has experienced, which is so much. It's really incredible. Stacey is the CEO of Family Equality Council and is the first Black female executive officer and a trailblazing leader. She has been selected as Out Magazine's Out 100 list, a compilation of the year's most impactful and influential LGBTQ plus people in the fall of 2022. Prior to joining Family Equality, Stacy worked in the corporate sector where they have a long history of senior roles in the defense, technology, and finance industries. They decided to turn their business acumen into lived experience and passion to work for the LGBTQIA plus families and those who wish to form them. Stacy's wife, Cherilyn, and eight-year-old twin boys, Duke and London, are enjoying the life they're building in Washington, D.C. And she has so much to share with us today. So Stacy, thank you for coming. And why don't we start with a little bit about you and tell me what you'd like to, to start telling our viewers. Sure. Thanks for having me. And I guess uh, well, we're here to talk about family. So we should, let's talk about family. So you mentioned my wife and kids and we are new to, to DC and uh, made a really difficult decision to move from Texas, our home state to Washington, DC. But I'd love to start with how we started our family. Great. And, and you know, my wife and I always wanted children. And we anticipated that there would be challenges, uh, but I don't think that we were really prepared for the magnitude of challenges or maybe the shock of the challenges or the shock of the discrimination that we would would encounter on our our road to parenthood. And like many people, we wanted to try fertility. I, I tried first because I'm older and then Sherilyn tried and that didn't work. But through that process, we had varying experiences from, from fertility doctors. And, and one was pretty, I think, well in tune with LGBTQ plus people and, and our desire to become parents. And another, I think he thought he was inclusive, but what he said was that he could do the treatment. But if we got pregnant, we would have to have the baby at another hospital that was not religiously affiliated. And so obviously that, that, didn't work. It <laughs> was not going to work at all. And, you know, I guess to make a long story short, we, we went through multiple avenues to try to have kids. Fertility, we looked into a, a foster, we looked into international adoption and those have, uh, that has their, its barriers as well. And about the time I think we were going to give up, we, we finally said, let's try adoption. And we were matched with a, a mother 
was pregnant in Ohio with, with twin boys. And I remember the ad like it was yesterday. We actually found the ad on some message board, Lisa, because we were just, I think at the time we were just, we were distraught. We were ready to give up. And I don't know what Cherilyn was searching, Cherilyn, my wife, but she found this, this ad almost on a message board from an organization called Abby's One True Gift. They're an adoption agency. And it said, African-American mother in Ohio, pregnant with twins, open to all families. And we saw the all families with yeah. to go through all the discrimination and, and starts and stops and, you know, adoption agencies beforehand saying we don't work with lesbian couples or, you know, no woman would place her children with a lesbian couple. We heard that too. We were just distraught. So by the time we saw that ad and it said all families, we called them immediately. And I'll say that we were not thinking that we were going to adopt those twins. We just said all, it said all families and we hadn't heard of this adoption agency. We didn't, we did not think we were prepared for twins. So we called the agency and said, we, we would love to work with you, but we're only prepared for one child. We obviously ended up adopting our twins. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. And how old were they when you adopted them? They were six weeks old. So they, uh, another quick story is that we went through the entire pregnancy with, with the, the birth mother. And what I'll say is that every time we went back to the agency to say, we only want one child because we were, we're first time parents. It's all we can really, you know, imagine it's a lot to, to raise a child. And we were afraid like many people, the birth mother would have other couples actually back out. So she was getting matched with other couples. They were backing out for one reason or another. So the agency would come back to us and say, I know you only want one kid, but this mother who has the two twin, the, the twins in Ohio, she's still looking to be matched. And the, the third time they came to us because another couple fell through with her, we said, okay, these are our children. We will adopt them. Wow. And we went through the entire adoption or pregnancy rather with her. And the day that she was supposed, that we were supposed to, or the day before we were supposed to fly to Ohio for the birth, she changed her mind. So that's why we didn't have the, the babies when they were newborn, because the day before our agency called us at 11 p.m. And I thought this is not good that the adoption agency is calling us at yeah. 11 p.m. on the day before we were to get on this plane to Cleveland. And I answered the phone hesitantly and our uh, representative said, do not get on that plane. She's changed her mind. Yeah. She is not going to place those boys for adoption. And that's all we can do. And we were heartbroken. We were just, I remember falling to the floor when I got home. We were in the car when, when she called and just falling to the floor and just bawling because it was a loss. Huge. And a huge loss for us. And we couldn't get a hold of her the next day. We knew what time the, the C-section was going to happen. I remember calling and the nurse in her room answered the phone finally and said, she doesn't want to speak to you. Really mean, right? She's not going to place those children for adoption, not with you. Goodbye. And we didn't contact her anymore. And we went upstairs where their nurseries were. We shut the door and we didn't go upstairs again. And we received a call from her six weeks later, a text from her six weeks later, saying that she'd made the biggest mistake of her life and that she loved those boys, but love is not enough to raise children. Like love is not enough to raise children. Like that, wow. I still remember her saying that. And she said, and if you were willing, can you please still adopt? these boys. And that's why we, we, we didn't get them until they were six weeks. Nonetheless, we still had the newborn experience. Yes, so, yes. yes. Oh my gosh. What a story. That's incredible. Well, obviously those boys are meant to be yours. 
Yes, yes, yes. And it's uh, they've been a joy, such a joy and such a, um, a teacher for us. My dad used to always say that I taught him things or your kids will teach you things. And I'm like, oh, your kids teach you things. Absolutely. Uh, they stretch you. They make you grow in ways that you did not think that you needed to grow. They make you deal with your stuff, all the things. And I have to say that those beautiful boys have, have done all of that at eight years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And how did you get to family equality? Well, I I call the moment in my life COVID clarity because it happened during the pandemic. And, you know, if you think about or know anything about my background, being in corporate America was a really huge deal for me. And making it to corporate America at senior and executive levels was something that that people didn't think I could do. I mean, I I got drug out of the closet, Lisa, when I was in high school. I dropped out of high school after that. I um, received a GED and I slept on couches and worked at fast food restaurants and was really struggling to make ends meet. Fast forward to to 20 something years in corporate America and building my way up and going to college and bachelor's degree and MBAs and all those things to be there and then to, to have to to have this thought to decide, do I really belong here? I, I, I've worked my way up here. Is this really where I belong? Am I really doing what I need to do for my community? And I think COVID had a way of making us all think about our lives in a very different way. And that's what happened. Sitting around, being quarantined, can't leave the house. I started really thinking about my career and what I was doing for the community. The experience that Cheryl and I had trying to build our family, I knew that other LGBTQ couples were still dealing with that. And it's so strange how the universe works because at the same time, Family Quality was looking for a new CEO. At the time, I was questioning what I wanted to do. And I applied for the position and four months or so later, whatever it was, it was a very long and hard conversations and interviews. As you can imagine, I was I was selected as the, the new CEO. And Amazing. I have to say, it, it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Yes. And as I said earlier, I'm not, I don't know if your wife agrees with you because you're working so hard and traveling around the world and changing lives, which is great, but I'm sure it's really, really tough. But, you know, also on the other side, you know, your family gets to participate in all these incredible things and see you do these amazing things. Maybe you could tell us a little bit for people who are out there who don't really know, what are some of the things that you guys have been working on this last couple of years? Wow. Well, it is, it's been two years, so I hit my two years on, on March 17th. I can't believe that. You know, family quality has been around for 44 years now. And one of the challenges that we've had is ensuring that people know that we're out there. The work that we do is important. The work that we do to protect families, to ensure that our families can create their, their families parent, have children without financial barriers, without legal barriers, et cetera. All of that work is really strong and important. But if people don't know that you're there, they don't know that they can tap into that resource. So over the last couple of years, what we've really been working on, one of the things we've been working on is ensuring that we're elevating our message and elevating our mission via digital means like social media and um, broadcast, podcasts just like this, Mm -hmm. that we're really being intentional about um, participating in these sorts of, of forums so people know that we are we're, we're here that the the there's a generation of LGBTQ plus people millennials who are having children and mm-hmm. want to have children so how do they know that family quality exists so we've been 
doing those types of things in podcasts, like I said, broadcasts, et cetera. So we're elevating our brand. The other thing that we're working on is really honing in on our work and where do we really want to focus. We are here to protect families. But as you can imagine, Lisa, with all the legislation happening, it's easy to to lose focus or want to chase everything. They're throwing so much at us. They're throwing so much at the walls in terms of even the bills that don't pass, right? There's a there's a cost to introducing a really bad bill. And there's so many of them. There were, what, 300 or so bills when we ended the year in 2022, last year. Wow. In the short time that introduced, right? And, and many of those didn't pass, and that's great, but there's a cost to that. Fast forward to now in 2023, and we're only, what, this is like the end of Q1, and we're close to 400 bills that have been introduced. Wow. So when you see that type of, of a volume of hate that's coming towards you, it's easy to want to dive into everything and to, to help and do all the things, and we can't. We can't. And so we've been focused on how do we truly, truly, truly protect our families. And we've, we've honed that down into four areas. And that is uh, defending our marriages, because I think that you're probably aware we passed the, we, we helped pass the Respect for Marriage Act last year, but marriage is, is still something that we are hoping is safe, but we are preparing just in case it's not. Family formation, how we form our families is the second area of focus. That's always going to be something, family creation, ensuring that those that are laws on the books um, that help us protect our families and remove barriers. The third is child welfare. So we're thinking about the 400,000 or so children who go through the foster care system every year. And about 120,000 of those are awaiting adoption um, every year or in 20,000 age out. How do we ensure that if there is an LGBTQ plus person who wants to adopt a child, that those barriers are removed? And how do we ensure that that child, most of them, a lot of them are queer in the foster care system, that they have the best outcomes? while they're in foster care. So child welfare is the other one. And the fourth one is schools. I think you've probably heard about all the don't say gay bills. And in fact, we are suing the Department of Education in Florida um, over the don't say gay bill because it's unconstitutional. And when we think about don't say gay bills, it really affects my kids' experience in schools. Those of us who are LGBTQ plus and we have children in the school system it affects how they talk about their families and when they can talk about their families, et cetera. So schools is the, is the fourth area. So really honing in on those four areas and that's where we're focused. And it kind of runs the gamut of the LGBTQ plus family experience. And we think that that's where we can focus. And the third thing is just working really hard, <laughs> working really hard, uh, multiple meetings at the White House, which I'm very thankful for in their thought partnership and just really elevating the message around queer families exist. LGBTQ plus families exist and we're here and we deserve just as much love and and freedom as anyone else. Yeah. And we were saying earlier that, uh, you know, you've been to the White House so many times, you probably have your own sleeping bag with your own name on it there. It's incredible that they're... I'll let them know the next time I'm there that that's... I'm that's what you should... <laughs> See what they say. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, you've done such great things, Stacey. And, you know, you're right. There's just so much to think about. I'm sure you're dizzy thinking about all of these things. And, you know, when we talk about donor conception, there's so much that we have to consider, right? If we're talking about donor conception, we're also talking about every kind of family, right? Families who not just have infertility, but single parents, LGBTQ families. Of course, you know, the whole trans community is probably, you know, struggling the most with this topic Mm -hmm. at the moment. But, 
you know, now you're laying on, on top of it, you know, all of these other problems that are coming from all of these communities that are so hateful and the hatefulness is spreading and the problems with access to good medical care is a problem. And now, you know, people are, you know, physicians are afraid to practice in their states and kids are afraid to talk about their families. And the whole thing is, is so difficult and so much to imagine. It must make your head spin every day. It does. And it makes my head spin. It's a challenge to say, to stay focused because there's so much, like I said, and I think about my policy team. I have a, a small team of, of brilliant attorneys and they are, they are the ones deep in the legislation every day. And there's an effect uh, to, to that of really of reading these really crummy and hateful bills that people are introducing, having to read and sift through those when you are responsible for not only fighting those bills, but you are also someone who is under attack because of those bills. So if you imagine that experience of I'm a queer parent, I work in the, the, the movement, I'm an attorney here to fight this. And at the same time, you're fighting it and you're also um, a party to it, if you, you know, if that makes sense. And so that that does make our, our heads spin. So we we do what we can in terms of ensuring that we, we create spaces at Family Equality where people can talk about their experiences. When the, the next bad bill drops that affects our families, let's talk about it. Let's have a space because this is a, this is a long game and they're throwing so much at us that if we don't preserve ourselves, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to be be your best, right? when you're under attack and again, responsible for fighting off the attacks. Yeah. Yeah. It slows everything else down. Also, I'm sure because I, you know, I was thinking after 2015, you know, once gay marriage was federal, now let's start talking about other things like making fertility treatment equal. Let's think about, you know, how uh, we can change things so that people don't have to adopt their own children. Right. I mean, there's just so much more to do if the world was the way it was, but now that there's so much hate, it's like there's so much uh, tough tide to keep pushing back. I think that it's probably yeah. hard to get to you know those basic things that we should be continuing to work on. It is, and I'll say that it's it's placed a fear in the LGBTQ plus community. I think people who had the same thinking that, that you and I did. 2015, Obergefell, you know, became federal law, and now we can create our families, and and we're we're seen, you know, in large part as equal. And then, when Dobbs was overturned, the number of people who contacted Family Equality just fearful. They're scared. They're afraid. What do we do? How do I protect my marriage? How do I protect my children? How do I protect my parent-child relationship? What do I do? And that fear is it's pervasive. It's it's out there. Every month that we see these bills that are introduced and every month that we see, you know, these don't say gay bills, et cetera, whatever it is, people are afraid. And, you know, one of the things I didn't mention that we're doing is looking at technology as a means to help families get to safe places. And wow. when I think about a family, for example, in, in Texas, family had a trans daughter and when Governor Greg Abbott set this directive last year that, you know, parents who were providing gender affirming care to their children could be investigated and, and possibly prosecuted, you could imagine the fear that it put in the hearts of these families. And there was one family in particular who 
decided that they were leaving no matter what. This mother, single mother, seven or eight year old daughter, I believe, if I, I remember the age right, but they, they packed everything up that they had and they got in the car and they drove from Dallas to LA. Long, long drive. And they ended up in LA with, with, with little resources, with really nowhere to stay, no community, nothing. And we were, we were contacted and, and connected with them to help them find some local resources in the LA area. But what they knew is that they felt safe. What that mother knew is that she, didn't, she was not at risk of losing her child because she was providing gender-affirming care. And so what we're doing is figuring out how we provide an app. And we've already started the first iteration of this where when people have those oh crap moments because I got to move or my neighbor is now calling the the authorities on me. We heard of stories like that in Texas and other places. I got to go. I got to move. And where can I go and what's safe? Where's the safest place? And so using technology as an enabler to to protect our families. And um, it's unfortunate that we have to do it, but we we know that we're going to continue to hear stories like the one I just shared. That is so important. Uh, that's amazing, Stacey. That's going to help so many people. It, it is, um, but uh, it's what, how do you <laughs> refer to? We're kind of refugees, right? In your, in your, own, in your country, own country. In your own country. And we're in the United States of America. Come on. But this is exactly what's, what's happening. So yes. So what would you recommend for people who are listening, who are feeling nervous? Because, you know, we see that, of course, Right, you moved. People feel like moving into all different, you know, for all different reasons. We're even seeing people move their embryos into states that they feel that their embryos are going to be safe because, with all these personhood laws now, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And so, what do you recommend to a family who says, "Hey, you know, we're we're you know this young family to be, and we want to have kids, and should we make sure that we're married? Should we make sure that we have the second parent adoption? Should we make sure that we're in a safe state? Like, how many things should we be making sure of as we're kind of thinking about building our family? Well, what I'll start with, it's a very personal decision, so I'm going to start with that. Whatever decision people make, I know there are lots of decision points and factors that go into it. My opinion, though, is that check all the boxes. And what I mean by that, you said, what are all the things that we should check? You know, the second parent adoption, marriage, parentage of the state, all of those legal boxes should be looked at and checked. And I think about, there's a mother in Oklahoma not too long ago, what, a couple of months or so ago, where she and her, her spouse split up and her parental rights were, were taken away from the judge. Um, because they hadn't done the, the second parent adoption. And so um, in the worst cases, things like that can happen. But in the best cases, maybe things like that can happen. We don't know. So my recommendation, my opinion is that people should check all the boxes from a, a legal point of view. Make sure that you have all of those documents and your rights understood, your state understood. And it's hard to say to tell someone if you're not in a safe state to go, go, go move to one, right? That's, that's really um, major decision. But I will say having all of your legal rights understood um, as it relates to your parenting rights and your parent-child relationship and your marriage are really important. More important now than ever. And I think some of our community were not aware of what they needed to do. And if you're not aware, if you have any questions, you know, contacting an organization like Family Equality, 
or others um, happy to, to, to help people navigate that and provide some resources. So can you tell people what kind of resources Family Equality, because I think that people don't even realize how many resources you really do have. You know, when I, I gave a lecture at Family Week mm-hmm. one year and um, I had some, you know, so much fun and it was great for those of you who don't know, it's a great little vacation that that's sponsored by the Family Equality Council in Provincetown. And I lectured there one year and I was, you know, involved and doing things. And I just started to, for the first time ever, started to really look through all everything that was available on the website. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's even more than I thought. And there really is. I mean, there's so many people who are involved and who are, you know, really passionate about trying to do as much as they can for the community and, you know, embrace people who really need support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for the the Family Week shout out because we are are diligently planning Family Week right now in Provincetown and it's the largest LGBTQ plus family gathering in the world. So for people who are listening, if you've not been there, please join us. And um, if you have joined us again, please come again because we're we're planning something really fun. We had about 600 families last year. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, From, from, all over the globe, Paris, Berlin, it was, it was great. Our resources are vast, like you said, you know, and when I think about our resource library, we have anything from what to expect when you're adopting, what to expect if you decide to pursue foster, uh, foster to adopt. So I'll say like all of the kind of the paths to parenthood, what do those mean? And what are the, what are the, the, the legal ramifications or the, the legal information that you should know about? We also have information around schools. When you're entering a new school or you want to know how can you have a conversation about an administrator or with a teacher about your family and about LGBTQ plus families. And we also have information around connecting people with other uh, parent groups in their, in their city or states. So that connection is there. So oftentimes we're missing that connection or we're the only LGBTQ plus family in the neighborhood. And I think the other, the last resource I'll say that's really important, but there are many others, are state guides. And so for some particular states, we have information on what to expect in those states as it relates to parentage laws, adoption laws, the kind of the state of affairs for LGBTQ plus families. And we're looking to, to expand that across all states. That's fantastic. So people can actually go on the website and find other families in their community? Groups, family groups. So if a family group exists, then they can they can look up the family group. Exactly. That's wonderful. And just to kind of go back to what we were saying before, Stacey, about, you know, this issue of safety. And I, you know, raise this sometimes on the podcast because I feel like it's so important to to be thoughtful about family building. And when we see lots of families, lots of young couples saying, you know, me and my wife want to use our best friend as a sperm donor and maybe he'll be a dad, maybe he won't, maybe we'll, you know, maybe he's going to get married to his, his longtime partner. And so maybe they'll both be the dads and maybe they won't. And, you know, there's this, this good intention very often about wanting to have like a nice community and have everybody love the child. But sometimes it puts the parents in a situation where there could be legal issues if they're not clearly defining who the parent is, you know, because there's so many players and then who's, 
you know, the sperm donor's husband's life um, experience going to be? Is he going to have custody too? Does he financially responsible? And so I think that that's something else that, you know, families have to be careful about and thoughtful about before they just kind of leap into parenthood. I agree. And we've heard stories, I'm sure you've heard stories, things do change. And when a child is in the, the picture, emotions are there, emotions change. I mean, as you know, children change everything. And what you thought your agreement was or the model was maybe prior to that child will change once the child is in the picture, will change once uh, that, say, that the sperm donor now has a partner. And it's really important back to the legal checkboxes we talked about earlier to really understand the, the legal rights and to, to protect your parent-child relationship. I think those are, are really good points. And I hope that everyone who's out there who's listening can really take this to heart because you should, in spite of what other people say, you should really believe and you can lean on Stacy and everyone in her organization to know that, you know, you need to feel empowered to have the family that you want to have. And you may need help. You may need a little help or a lot of help, but you can get there and you should not give up. You should really pursue it, but in a very careful way and make sure that you are taking care of yourself and your family members. And so Stacy, how can people connect with you or people in the Family Equality Council for help with, with their family building journey or for information about some of the things you're talking about? To find Family Equality or connect with Family Equality, they can go to familyequality.org. They can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and as well as Instagram to, to find us. And so connect with our programs team, our policy team with lots of policy information. There's also an info email address if people just have general questions and we'll, we'll respond to those too. Great. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you so much, Stacey, for coming on today. It was such a pleasure to see you and hopefully we'll see you, I'll see you soon in New York. Absolutely. We'll connect soon. Yes. All right. Thank you. And for those of you out there who um, are listening, if you want more information from the Center for Family Building, you can find us on familybuilding.net and certainly um, rate and subscribe to this podcast. And that way you'll always get the new episodes and get lots of great information on donor conception and related family building issues. So thanks for joining us.